Hello, and welcome to the Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis Show, aired every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Cat Cannabis is the international best-selling author of Surviving Cancerland, Intuitive Aspects of Healing, and the host of Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod TV Show. Together, we will explore cutting-edge insights and philosophies in health, wealth, and relationships. Cat's guests will be ordinary people with extraordinary stories. Now, here is your host, Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a great guest for you tonight. Dr. Terry Gordon is a Hay House author who knows that no storm lasts forever. The foreword of his book, No Storm Lasts Forever, was written by his good friend, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Now, Dr. Terry A. Gordon is a Cleveland Clinic-trained cardiologist, and he practiced with mainstream medicine for over two decades. He was named the American Heart Association's National Physician of the Year in 2002. And Dr. Gordon is nationally recognized in matters of the heart. We're going to be speaking much about matters of the heart tonight, but not necessarily health. And as a motivational speaker, he's shared the stage with the late, and the much-loved Dr. Wayne Dyer. As a musician, he is the co-host of Docs Who Rock, a United Way event. He is currently spearheading a national campaign called the Josh Miller Hearts, and that's capital H-E-A-R-T-S Act, which will place automated external defibrillators, known as AEDs, in every in the country, protecting from sudden cardiac arrest our most precious resource, our children. So welcome so much. So so welcome to the show, Dr. Terry A. Gordon. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And by the way, my name's Terry. Terry. So I prefer you call me Terry. Yeah. Okay. Forget the doctor stuff. Terry doesn't want us to get <laughs> call him Dr. Terry. He just wants to be known as Terry. So that's wonderful. So um, Terry, I I read the the foreword of your book uh, with Dr. Wayne Dyer, and I could tell immediately that the two of you were very close friends. So uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer was very supportive of your work. Tell me, how did you meet, and how did he influence? Your your life and your outlook. Well, you know, it's interesting, Kat. You know, people are put on your path for a purpose. And and this was probably 10 or 12 years ago. And I was a very busy cardiologist. My average day was 18 hours. And I'd be in the hospital by 6 in the morning in the cath lab and do 6 or 7 heart catheterizations, put in a couple of pacemakers, see 40 people in the hospital and be over in the office by 1.30 to see another 20 or 30. It was a grueling pace. A, a pace, by the way, that I actually thrived on up to a point. And I had just started mm-hmm. reaching that point of diminishing returns where I was still able to keep up, but it was becoming much more difficult to do so. And, and what mm-hmm. I would do when I was making rounds in the hospital, I literally would run from room to room with a trail of residents and medical students behind me, pick up the mm-hmm. chart, quickly peruse it, pull out of it what I needed, and then I would take this big, deep breath, and with this facade of calmness, I would walk into the patient's room. And I walked into this guy's room. His name was Art Blair. 
And the first thing out of Art's mouth was, whoa, Dr. Gordon, you're killing yourself. And I said, I beg your pardon. Mm. He said, you've got this great aura, this marvelous energy around you, Dr. Gordon, but but it's fractured and fragmented, and you really better do something about it or something very bad is going to happen. And I re- mm-hmm. remember kind of clearing my throat and kiddingly saying, you know, well, Mr. Blair, I'm the doctor. I'm here to take care of you, not the other <laughs> way around. And he said, well, all I'm telling you is what I see. And, and he had this irregular heart rhythm, atrial fibrillation. And I treated him, and he went on home. The next time he came back in, he said the same thing. He said, you, you haven't done anything about it, have you? And I said, you know, I don't have time. I'm so busy. I'm like this mouse on a, a treadmill, and I just have to keep running faster and faster. And he made two suggestions to me. He suggested, number one, that I read a couple of books by Wayne Dyer. And I had read Your Erroneous Zones back in the 70s. But, you know, I didn't need stuff like that, you know. I'm, I'm in control now, you know. The other thing he suggested was that I learned how to meditate. And so I mm-hmm. bought a couple of Wayne's books. He, he suggested Real Magic and Inspiration. And I was so touched by them, I, I found Wayne's phone number, and I tried to call. And his secretary, Maya, answered the phone, and I said, um, this is uh, Dr. Gordon. I'd like to speak with Dr. Dyer, please. Well, she could have cared less, and I never got to talk to him. <laughs> About two years later, uh, my wife, Angela, and I uh, took a trip to uh, Hawaii. And right before we left, my wife, Angela, developed shingles. And it was just a terrible case. I, I don't know how she made it out there. She was so sick. And about the third or fourth day, and this was our first trip to Hawaii, we were both very excited. And uh, about the third or fourth day, um, you know, she's still in bed. And I went out one morning and tried to meditate and couldn't and went running on the beach and got tired of that. And kind of came back kicking the sand, feeling sorry for myself. And guess who I bumped into on the beach of Hawaii? Wayne Dyer. No. Yeah. Oh, my and, goodness. And, and, you know, and I walked up to him. It was. It was. I walked up to him and I said, man, I know you're on vacation and I don't want to bother you, but I have to thank you for saving my life. And he said, really? Tell me about it. So for 20 minutes, I was the most important person to this guy. I mean, he was locked mm-hmm. in. And, um, you know, he when we finished and, and, and he said, well, what kind of work do you do? And I told him I was a cardiologist. He said, well, I, I just had a stent. So we had, you know, this kind of common bond. And. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, why don't we get together? So I went over to his, his uh, condo a couple of days later, and Angela and I went out to eat dinner with him uh, the following night, and we just became brothers. And, uh, you know, I was just li- – little did I know, you know, that chance meeting, quote-unquote chance, was mm-hmm. preparatory. It was, it was purposeful, and it mm-hmm. laid the foundation – for where I was to springboard my my enlightenment, my growth, and it turned out to be fortuitous. It was quite helpful and and changed my life and and indeed saved my life. So I have a special special place in my heart for my buddy Wayne. Oh, what a beautiful story! And that's what I call a serendipitous synchronicity. You know, yeah. it's it's sort of like um, you you sent out to the universe that you have a desire. And if it's in alignment with what you're doing for the for for the world, for the betterment of the world, there's this uh, serendipitous synchronicity that happens mm-hmm. where people just show up. Things just show up. Things happen that you could not have planned or put into motion. It's like the universe goes, yes, okay, that's a good one. We're going to make it happen yeah. with you. And, and it does. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened. 
So, you know, I, if it's if it's at all possible and, and you feel that, that, you know, I know that it's got to be a little, you know, heart-wrenching to, to talk about this close friend of yours when when he's, he's, you know, gone from us now. And all I can say is our loss is heaven's gain. Do you think you could read a little bit of that forward to us? Because I'd love to hear it in your voice. I'd be happy to. I'd be happy. Now, I have to preface it by telling you mm-hmm. the truth. When okay. Wayne Dyer finished writing it, first of all, one of the uh, the editors at uh, Hay House said this was the most beautiful um, forward he's ever written, and it was. But he called me and said, you know, Terry, I've just uh, paved my way to hell telling all these lies about you. So keep that in mind <laughs> as I read this. No, he, he – you, you know, Wayne was, was a kidder. Uh, okay, the, the forward starts out like this. Um, this is a story about love. A truly magnificent story written by a man whom I consider to be one of the finest human beings I have ever been blessed to know, and whom I'm so proud to call a friend and colleague. This book is far more than a collection of highly emotional, skillfully written essays detailing a journey through the darkness of an almost unspeakable horrific accident and the impact of such a tragedy on a father and son and an entire family. And this book is not just about how to weather a severe storm or how to come to grips with such an incident in one's life, the book you hold in your hands is one of the most beautiful love stories I have ever read. Dr. Terry Gordon, a brilliant cardiologist, has spent the better part of his adult life smack dab in the middle of crises. He's been right there, often working feverishly throughout the night without any sleep for days, simply doing what he vowed to do when he took the Hippocratic Oath. He's an accomplished member of the healing profession, a dedicated man who has been in awe of the heart and its majestic role in all of our lives. That and it, it, it goes on. That, but, he, you know, he sums it all up right there. And, and you know, our heart, we, we always talk about how our heart breaks and, and, and our heart uh, dances for joy. And it's amazing how there's this organ in our body that's so attached to our emotions. And speaking of emotions, as Dr. Wayne Dyer mentioned in that introduction, um, you have experienced some pretty significant heartache in your personal life. Yet despite this, you, you seem to have such an upbeat person. How is it that you have coped so well with, uh, you know, this tragedy and still you have been able to maintain a positive outlook? How is that possible? Well, you know, Kat, it's all about perspective. Maybe I should share with the audience, um, you know, what transpired and, and then Please I can do. answer that question. Um, It was back in June of 2009, June 30th, actually, and I was up in my office uh, doing a little work, and my daughter, Maddie Rose, uh, who was teaching in Chicago, had just arrived home for the weekend. She came into my office, and and you know, it's it's a parent's sixth sense when you can just kind of tell something's not quite right. She, Mm -hmm. She had this sadness dripping from her, and... And I asked her, I said, what's up, honey? She came around my desk and plopped down by my feet and put her arms up on my knees. And she said, you know, Dad, I always thought that the older I got, the the more control I assumed over my life, the easier life would become. And then with this heavy sigh and a single tear trickling down her cheek, she said, you know, Dad, it's just not working out that way. And I pulled her up into my arms and I rocked her for the longest time because I knew what I was about to share with her would be very important. And I shared with her, you know, honey, 
I think that's the way it's supposed to be. If we are to grow, if we are to mature, if we're to become more enlightened in this lifetime, we must face greater and greater obstacles, remembering that everything that happens to us is in perfect order. And I, I quoted to her from the Kabbalah, which is the ancient mystical text of Judaism. Mm-hmm. And in it it says, it's the flaws of our life that provide the energy to propel us onto a higher path. It's the flaws of our life. And I shared with her, I said, you know, darling, we, we really should be grateful for the crap that comes our way because <laughs> it provides us tools. And I kissed her on the forehead and I left her with that thought. The next morning... At 6.40, I received one of the worst phone calls a parent could get. Mm. The grave voice on the other end of the line shared with me that our son, Tyler, who was in school out in Durango, Colorado, had been involved in a single car uh, accident and that he had flipped his car head over heels over and over and over again and that he had shattered his neck. And then came the dreaded words, your son is quadriplegic. Oh, my well, you know, God forbid anybody should ever have to hear those mm. those words. But, you know, as, as parents, we fret about, mm. you know, when our kids don't come home in time or they come home mm-hmm. in a condition we're not particular. But, but when you hear the words, you can't imagine the impact. I had about yeah. 20 seconds of denial. And then the doctor and me kicked in. I knew exactly where we were going, what was going to happen. They were getting ready, actually, to life flight him from Durango, Colorado, to Denver, Colorado, where he would undergo emergency surgery. So within an hour, I had packed a bag and bolted from the house, speeding up to the Cleveland airport, trying to get on an overbooked flight. And when I got up there, I was like eighth in line for an overbooked flight. And, and somehow they found me a seat. And I was seated next to a window. And this is a three-hour flight, and I'm like a caged cat. I mean, my mind is just in total chaos. The thoughts are banging around inside my head so painful and so frightful. It, just, it was the worst mm-hmm. three hours of my life. And, and yeah, I, I felt sure. that like I was in this tornado, and it was mm-hmm. loud, and it was whooshing, and it was dark, and it was dank. And I, I looked down the funnel of this, this tornado, and it was just pure blackness, pure darkness. And it was so mm-hmm. frightening. And, and I remember saying to myself, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. And gradually, I became enveloped in this cocoon of white noise, strand by strand. And it it morphed from being this place of chaos to being this place of unfathomable peace. And, And yet, I was still saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. And I won't. And tell what you was that, it you were saying you couldn't do? What was it that you were saying you couldn't do? I can't do it. I just do. couldn't do it. I was just overwhelmed. I just couldn't you, do this. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't. You couldn't do go it. through this you know, emotion. I was just mm-hmm. in so much chaos. Mm-hmm. And so I, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you that I heard the voice of God, but I heard it, the the message from deep within when God mm-hmm. said, "Yes, you can." And I said, "But I don't know how." And God said, "Terry, just last night." You shared your truth with your daughter. You can mm-hmm. talk the talk. Now you're going to have to live it. And I said, but, but again, I don't have the tools to do this. And God said, remember, everything's in perfect order. You, you told your daughter that. And then God shared with me the most profound thought I have ever had in my life. When mm-hmm. God said, treat this as if it was something you had chosen. Hmm, now, why would I do that? Why Why would I choose such a tragedy? 
What, what possible good could come from such a life-altering calamity? What, what lessons could there be hidden in such turmoil? Now, you know, some believe, and many religions purport, that we actually choose what it is we are going to experience in a particular lifetime. And that mm-hmm. choice is based... That choice is based on what our spiritual spiritual development requires in order to continue on its progressive course. Mm-hmm. So this epiphany hit me. Now, I didn't accept it right away, but it mm-hmm. was a path-changing um, event. It, it set me off on a totally different path, a path away from chaos toward a path of understanding that everything's in perfect order, even this. So as I began navigating this storm, the challenge... Hello, and welcome to the Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis Show, aired every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Goodness, that did it all by itself. It's got to be the energy coming in. (laughs) But as I was saying, you know, the challenge for me became adjusting my perception of these events enough to recognize the presence of God within the experience. And in order to do that... I had to take my mind to a place it had never been before, and that was a way, way, way beyond what I had previously judged as good or bad. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the next several months, I came to accept that adversity is a gift from God. It may not come in the most beautifully wrapped package. In fact, the gift mm-hmm. may appear so disgustingly hideous that it's nearly impossible to comprehend how it could ever be of benefit. But... It's a gift, nonetheless. And once I well, accepted this... It's a beautiful this, thought. Yeah, well, that's a beautiful it, thought, though. Yes. Well, you know, it's, it's you know, there are two ways of looking at things. You know, you can you can piss and moan and whine and and suffer mm-hmm. and you know and and victimize yourself and li- lick your own wounds, or you can accept what has happened to you as a gift and learn mm-hmm. every single thing there is from it. And because of that, if if you can do that, if you can learn even one tiny thing from what is perceived as a terrible, terrible event, if you can learn one tiny thing, it's not a negative event. It's a positive event. That's right. You can turn a negative into a positive. Like I tell people all the time when, when, you know, I would have to go through crises because I I am a three-time breast cancer survivor. I was not a victim because of it. It was something, it was a choice that I made before I was born because I realized that in my dreams. But just like just like you're talking about, we can choose to be the bug or we can choose to be the windshield. And mm-hmm. you chose to be the windshield. Well, you know, it mm-hmm. was it was a, a way that was totally foreign to me up to this point. And yet... I had been prepared. Wayne Dyer had been in the process of of helping me. In fact, we were supposed to have gone on a cruise with his family. Our family and his family were finally going to get together uh, in, in a, you know, probably uh, what ten, fifteen days uh, after Tyler's accident. Of course, we had to had to cancel that. And God love him. I mean, he called every single day, and uh, and still did. You know, I mean, he called uh, often to to talk to Tyler and to share with him his his firm conviction that, you know, we are so much more than our body. And so that's mm-hmm. been, uh, you know, part of part of the healing process that's gone on here now for six years. We're in our sixth year of, of, since his accident, you know. 
But but you know, it, one of the things that that, I, that came out of this for me was that that I came to appreciate this this human realm in which we live is the perfect circumstance in which we can approach what it is we all seek, and that's insight, enlightenment. You know, crap happens. It's going to happen to everybody. <laughs> None of us is immune to it. But but life is balanced. And it's not only balanced by those things that cause us to suffer, but it's beautifully coupled with those things that bring us pleasure as well. And as a result of that, mm-hmm. we're not overly burdened mm-hmm. with the negative That's aspect. That's a great way to look at that. Well, you know, it, it happened. It was, it was so strange because we... Um, we were staying in an apartment juxtaposed to the hospital. It was kind of like a Ronald McDonald uh, uh, circumstance where the first month they know that you're in complete turmoil and they just say, here's your apartment. You're, you can have it for a month. And one um, one morning I awoke and there was a small crack in the curtains that allowed the sunshine to stream through the, the glass window pane, projecting prisms on the opposite wall and ceiling. And when I opened my eyes, Kat, all I saw were these beautiful prisms dancing around. And and I remember saying, oh, what a beautiful day. Thank you, God. Thank you. Oh, this is so beautiful. And then suddenly it hit me where we were. And I felt so guilty, you know. And, and, And here I had just enjoyed something when my wife couldn't. And my son couldn't couldn't even see the sun. He wouldn't even let the sunlight in his room. And yet I had just enjoyed something. And I, I was so I felt so guilty. And then it hit mm-hmm. me. Why shouldn't I enjoy the beautiful day? It's there. It, it's like a little puppy dog that's sitting right next to you, just waiting to be noticed. So it taught me a powerful, powerful lesson. And that is the beauty lies in the belly of the beast. Right alongside the belly of the beast, beauty is there. And that's that's that balance that that um, that I was telling you about. The, you know, it's the non-duality of life. Lao Tzu, uh, in uh, the the Tao Te Ching, the second verse, talks about that. Uh, that under heaven, all can see beauty as beauty only because there is ugliness. All can know good as good only because there is evil. The difficult is born in the easy. Long is defined by the short. The high by the low. So it's the you know, we need the ugliness in our lives to be able to appreciate the beauty. You've heard that expression before, yeah, but it's so true. Oh, absolutely. It's part of the balance you were talking about earlier. So this non-duality of life is also part of the uh, part of that balance. We need to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, don't go away, audience. For those of you just tuning in, we have Dr. Terry A. Gordon with us. He is a Cleveland clinic-trained cardiologist and also a Hay House author who was close friends with Dr. Wayne Dyer. And as soon as we come back, we're going to talk about why they refer to Terry, as he prefers to be called, as the wounded healer. And what does that mean? So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey, Jenna, have you seen the TV show Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod on Channel 99? OMG, I love that show. It's with Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. 
She's an international best-selling author and Lori Boyle, the CEO of Lori Boyle Media. Right. They're hosting a personal development seminar, Retreat for the Soul. It's about your dreams, meditation, healing, and the subconscious mind. Ooh. It sounds fun. And rejuvenating. Let's go. Where do we sign up? Their website, wickedhousewivesoncapecod.com. Did you know that you can use your own radio show to promote your business and become a celebrity in your area or industry? Do you have a great idea for a radio show or a passion that you would like to share with other like-minded people? The Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod Radio and TV hosts Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis and Lori Boyle will show you how. Go to wickedhousewivesoncapecod.com. Do you have a great story to tell or do you want to write your memoir? Best-selling author Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis and Lori Boyle, CEO of Lori Boyle Media, are the hosts of the Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod TV and radio shows. Join their Writer's Workshop Intensive to get writing and get published. Go to wickedhousewivesoncapecod.com. Welcome back, everyone. We have Dr. Terry A. Gordon with us. And uh, we want to go right into asking the question, uh, Terry, why do they refer to you as the wounded healer? Well, I'll tell you, Kat, when... when Several people suggested that. It, it made me feel very uncomfortable, I have to admit that. But when when I graduated from medical school, my wife, Angela, crafted for me an embroidery picture with the following words on it. It said, treat each of your patients as a loved one. Feel his pain, his loneliness, his fear. You will suspect everything and miss nothing. Like it or not, you will be loved as you love. And I have to admit, I kind of strayed away from that. You know, when I first went into to medicine, I, I thought, you know, I need to keep my emotion separate from my practice of medicine. In Greek mythology, Chiron was the wisest of the centaurs. And uh, he was in battle and was wounded by an arrow that had been dipped in Hydra's blood. And he became very ill. And the, reluctant, the, the ultimate lifelong anguish he experienced set him on a journey a journey of discovery. And he was in search of his own healing. And while he was doing that, he came to understand what patients were experiencing because he himself had felt the same pain. Mm-hmm. Now, as I mentioned, you know, I, I didn't feel like I should get emotionally involved with my patients. And, and my mother mm-hmm. had even suggested that I shouldn't become a doctor because I wouldn't be able to handle losing a patient. But I learned that Although objectivating the experience makes one more efficient, it also removes the humanity from the service to others. Carl Jung uh, explained it this way. The doctor is effective only when he himself is affected. Only the wounded physician heals. And, And what I came to understand is that through allowing myself to become emotional, not to the point that it that it interfered with my decision making, but it made the experience so much more beautiful. And, and, and I went through my practice literally loving every single patient, every single one, even the ones that uh, were difficult. I loved them. I loved them all. So I you think were that, indeed you know, a special doctor. Well, yeah. you know, I, I, it was my dharma. It was mm-hmm. what you know. My whole life was directed to. I thought was being mm-hmm. a doctor. And, um, and I believe it is. I think there are so many ways to to heal people, and and that brings us to the next the next 
thing that I want to talk to you about, which is aside from being an author, you're also very active uh, in health advocacy. Can you tell us a little bit about your work to get AEDs, which are the automated external defibrillators placed in Ohio schools and police cars? I know that they're in in airlines, uh, but now you're trying to bring them into the school system and into the police cars, and why is that? Well, um, in the year 2000, uh, Josh Miller, who was a 15-year-old high school football player from our town, ran off the football field and collapsed, and um, and he died. Um, I had the unfortunate experience of watching the video of Josh's death, and it it was, Cat, mm-hmm. the most sickening thing I had ever seen in my life. Um, mm-hmm. In that normally boisterous stadium, you could hear a pen drop except for the wail of his mother. Mm-hmm. Um Josh died of a cardiac arrest. Now, kids are not supposed to do that. And and while they were attending to Josh, they never thought it was heart. They were treating it as if it was a neck injury. And so I vowed that I was going to do something about it. I was then president of the local chapter of the American Heart Association. And um, I came up with this idea to raise money to put an AED in every junior high school and high school in our community. And we ultimately raised about $300,000 and did that. We were the first county of its size in the nation to do so. And that's when uh, the American Heart Association, I think they, they had a slow year that year, named me their National Physician of the Year. And I tell you that not as an accolade to me, but as a testament to the mission. But mm-hmm. after we did that, I thought, well, wait a minute. What about the next town over and the next town over who who hasn't had – God forbid, a a child die of a cardiac arrest. So um, I approached the legislators in the state of Ohio and convinced them to grant uh, $5 million. And that $5 million went to place an AED in every school in the state that wanted one. And there were 4,500 schools, 4,470 to be exact, that accepted the free AED. We trained five people in each school align them with their local paramedics and 911 service. And we've had at least 20 saves as a result of that. Um, from that, I thought, well, well, why stop in Ohio? And and Wayne helped me in this, even though he didn't realize it. He wrote a book that, that, that I was practicing before I read that book. It was called The Power of Intention. And mm-hmm. I see this bill as already being. So within six months... Uh, Congressman Woman Betty Sutton, who is from our area, proposed the bill on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. It was called the Josh Miller Hearts Act. It passed unanimously in the House of Representatives. Um, unfortunately, that was the year that uh, Senator uh, Kennedy had the brain tumor, so he was in charge of the mm-hmm. committee that would have approved this, and so nothing happened, so the bill died. The next go-round, she proposed the bill again. Once again, it passed the U.S. House of Representatives. Senator Hillary Clinton was the proposer for that bill, but it never made it to the floor. Uh, it was blocked, believe it or not, by a physician. A guy by the name of yes, Tom Coburn from Oklahoma, I think, um, and he blocked the bill. He liked the bill, but it didn't have any money attached to it. In other words, he, you know, his his whole thing was fiscal responsibility. If you don't have money, you can't spend it. But the the travesty is that since the bill first passed the U.S. House of Representatives, there have been over 286 kids who have died of a cardiac arrest in, in our schools. All the mm-hmm. while, and this will nauseate you, all the while, if you walk through the halls of Congress, guess what are 
placed on the walls everywhere. AEDs, the triple H. So the mission continues. Right now, you know, things are so dysfunctional in in D.C., but Mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do. And, you know, Wayne's already taught me. I've already seen it. So it's got to be. It's going to happen. It's just... Mm -hmm. Just, Is there anything yeah. our listeners can do to to help with this? Is well, there anything call to action you'd like to to uh, invite them to do? Well, certainly you can write your congressmen and women and senators. Uh, the bill, however, right now is not on the floor, so it, it hasn't been reproposed. You know, with as dysfunctional as they are in, in Washington, they can't get anything done, much less something of this magnitude. But um, but it's it's you know AEDs. If you have a cardiac arrest, you have about a three to five percent chance of making it. If somebody does CPR on you, that doubles your chance from three to five to six to ten percent of survival. If they do CPR, if they do CPR and use a defibrillator early, fifty to seventy-five percent of those people will survive. So it's a no-brainer. Amazing stat, my. And for every minute that someone's in a cardiac arrest his or her chance of survival drops by 10% every minute. So, you know, average response time of the paramedics is 8 to 12 minutes, and that's why such precious few survive. But uh, so it's mm-hmm. it's something that will happen. And, you know, once again, you know, Wayne has uh, has taught me so much. And God love him, I tell you. He just um, touched so many people and in such a genuine way. Uh, you know, this world is unequivocally a better place because uh, he graced us with his presence. Mm-hmm. Now, if if you were going to, uh, if there were going to be a change in this, could people find uh, whatever uh, new changes you are, are bringing forward on your website? Would they be able to sure. find yes, that information? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, well, why don't you yep. share with our audience then how they can get in touch with you and watch for any upcoming information on these AEDs, which are the on automated external defibrillators. Sure. My website is drterrygordon.com, and doctor is just D-R, no period behind it. Terry is T-E-R-R-Y. Gordon is G-O-R-D-O-N.com. And then I'm on you know Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, Google Plus, and all those. You can find me there. Um, but and I have, I've got uh, all of those links in the kiosk. So if you yeah. click on uh, this show link, and go to the kiosk, you can uh, find all of Terry Gordon's information, his website again, his email also, his Twitter, his Facebook, and his Facebook fan page, and his LinkedIn and Google+. Plus. So it's all right there on the yeah. kiosk. So I understand you also offer a free daily affirmation. How can our I listeners do. subscribe to this? Well, if you go to the website, on the very front page, the home page, there's a place where you can click on, um, as well as any other page in the website, you can click on and it automatically takes you to the site where you can plug in your information and uh, and get the daily aff- affirmations. Um, and, and they're really That's helpful. I, I, I learn myself from them every day. Um, mm-hmm. So, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. And then um, I also... Um, uh, and in a movie that's coming out, um, actually. Yeah, tell us about your uh, movie. That was going to be the next question. About a week. Yeah, it's a uh, soon it's, it's to be released uh, self-help film, right? You are appearing in The Secrets of the Keys. Yeah. So, And We're, it's also your new novel, My Heart Will Go On and On. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Well, you know, th- this book, actually both books were Wayne's fault. 
um, when I first <laughs> met him, uh, he he asked me if uh, if I would speak at one of his events, and I did. And when I finished with my presentation, he said, "You know, you ever thought about writing?" And I said, "You know, I, I never did, but I think I've got you know an interesting perspective." So I started. I've always had this keen interest in death, not from a Kervorkian sense, but from a spiritual sense. And so I did a lot of research and started writing this book, and somehow it morphed into a novel. And and it was kind of like two books in one. The first half of each chapter was the novel. The second half of each chapter was the prescriptive element. It was what I was trying to convey in the novel. And people either really liked it or really didn't, so I decided to bifurcate them. And I kept getting drawn back to the novel. And it's really good. I'm surprised because I've never done anything like this before. But it's a beautiful, mm-hmm. a beautiful story that um, that that has a marvelous. Um, well, I'm not going to say it. Just it's, 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 it's. I love it. I am very excited about it. My heart will go on. When is the... Well, I haven't gotten it published yet. We're we're in the process right now of trying to find a publisher. Uh, Hay House mm-hmm. generally doesn't do uh, novels, so uh, right. You know, I'm, I've got a book agent that uh, is working on on uh, getting it published, and it will because it's just it's a great a great book. And and tell us about the film. Um, how can we find out more about the film and know when it's going to be released? Actually, you can go to my website. Uh, there is a, on the home page. Go to the website and click on that. Uh, it's called The Secrets of the Keys. And it's got some phenomenal people people in it. Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, uh, who wrote mm-hmm. The Four Agreements, is in it. And uh, Reverend Michael um, Beckwith, mm-hmm. uh, Gloria Loring, Daniel Brinkley, Catherine Brinkley, um, John Asarath. Um, and it's it's a great, a great story. Um, again, mm-hmm. a very spiritual movie and uh, and... Truly a self-help. There, there, there are many, many pearls in this movie, and uh, yeah, the 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 premiere is uh, Friday the thirteenth. So that's, it's right that's around the amazing. corner. That's amazing, and I did watch. I watched the. Uh, I, I watched your your little promo to it that's mm-hmm. going around, and I've got to tell you what I loved about it was how this woman has these spiritual guides that come down and they're speaking to her. And I so believe in our spiritual guides. I believe that they speak to us during the day in daydreams, and they also speak to us at night in our in our night dreams. You know, our, our dreams are sacred doorways to information from the other side. And, and uh, those spirit guides are, are very, very important to our waking life and the life that we live here on the earth plane. So tell me, do you, have you... Uh, have you had any experiences in your dreams with possibly getting information from the other side, whether it's from Dr. Wayne Dyer or, or anyone else? Well, it's funny you mentioned that about Wayne because the other night I was in this dream and he appeared. And then I had to mm. go to the bathroom and when I came back, it was gone. <laughs> so I... So, <laughs> So I'm waiting for a night where I don't have to go to the bathroom so often. But uh, but he he came to me. He did, and he was just getting ready to speak. And I guess I must have really needed to go to the restroom. So he said, "I'll come back later." But that would have been something like uh, Wayne, Wayne would have done. But but yes, I've had um, um, I've, I've had uh, especially with uh, about our son. I've had some beautiful beautiful dreams. Uh, and my dad, my dad passed away when I was a young man. Um, and and I've I've and you've seen him in your dreams. dreams of that dad oh. too. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. So, well, I I have so enjoyed this time that we have spent together. We we went over a little bit, but that's okay. I it was so interesting. I didn't want to stop. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule, Dr. Terry A. Gordon, for coming on this show and sharing all this incredible wisdom with us and, and sharing your stories and your memories and uh, your, your future projects. Well, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure and my honor. So uh, for, for all of you listening in, uh, thank you for spending this wonderful time with us and tune in again next Wednesday when we will have more guests who will share stories and adventures and on and on. Thanks again. Just good night. Thank you for tuning in to the Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis Show. If you would like to comment or have an idea for the show or have a question for Kat or one of her guests, please visit her on Facebook at Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. This show and previous shows are archived on Blog Talk Radio, accessible from survivingcancerland.com and accessyourinnerguide.com. Join us again next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Until then, have a great week. Cat?